0: So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. It is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you need to know where to find it, that's where it is. Sometimes it's hard to find some of those prophetic books. Some of them are really thin, but that one's right at the very end. So Malachi chapter 3. For the last... Two weeks we've been focusing on what it means to worship, the actual act of worship. Um, the first week that we took time, uh, John Micklefield painted this grand and glorious picture of what worse, the worship of God actually should look like as we, along with creation, join together in declaring the goodness and the glory of God. It was. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, if it's not posted yet, I'm sorry, but. Um, have a listen. It was a, a great and wonderful message that just painted the majesty of, of who God is. And last week, Norm reinforced that worship is, is much more multifaceted than just the simple act of singing a song uh, here on a Sunday morning. I mean, he said that again this morning, actually. Singing in worship is a wonderful way of expressing our hearts to the Lord. But it's not the only way. Worship is actually meant to flow from every part of our life. It's not just those four or five songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. When you take a look at worship, one of the reasons, one of the motivators, or the motivator for worship, is actually when you see Jesus. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. When you actually see Jesus, when you behold him, when you see him coming through, when you see him actually impacting your life, touching your life, touching your heart, when you realize what he's actually saved you from, the glorious salvation that we've received, taken us from the kingdom of darkness, bringing us into this kingdom of light sparing us from the consequences of sin and death, bringing us into new life, rebirth, joined into the very family of God. When we see Jesus, our natural reaction, our natural thing that wells up inside of us is worship. God, you are supreme. You are wonderful. You are glorious over all things. Only you deserve the praise and the glory. It's something that just comes up inside of us. And when you boil down worship to kind of its inner essence, worship is actually the treasuring of God as infinitely valuable above everything. Everything, everything, everything. The various expressions, the ways, the acts, the things that we do to actually show how much we treasure the Lord. Whether it's in how we work, how we parent, how we love people, how we take care of people, how we love each other and our neighbor. All those things can be acts of worship. So all of life is meant to be worship because God said whether you eat or whether you drink, do everything, whatever you do, all of life. Do it to show how valuable the glory of God is to you. How are you treasuring the Lord? And my task today is to actually encourage us to see how we use our money, the finances that we have, what we've received, what we've stewarded as a means of worship. It's great to see even in taking up our offering um, just in our own culture here. Uh, to see people's excitement to actually be able to participate in giving. It's just a part of our worship. Our sermon series, it's called Where Your Treasure Is. It comes from that verse in Luke chapter 12. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. With money, the tricky bit is making sure that you use it in a way that actually shows how much you treasure God instead of getting sucked into treasuring the money. That's the tricky bit. The Bible says that we actually can't love money and God at the same time, it, it doesn't work. Treasuring money uh, over Jesus is ultimately idol worship, it's sin. But if we recognize how money can actually be a tool that serves us in our desire to worship Jesus, we actually have something very powerful to release, something very powerful in our hands. And as a question for you to ponder this morning, I want to ask you, would you say that how you are currently using the money that you have, that it accurately reflects the way that you treasure Jesus? There's no judgment behind that in my statement. It's just simply an honest integrity check that we all need from time to time. Lord, how am I using those resources that you've given me to glorify you and to worship you? I mean, truthfully, our relationship with God can actually be hindered when we use money in the wrong ways. But it can also reflect the vitality of our walk with the Lord when it's actually properly used. Money can be a means of honoring the Lord. So how can we use our money, the things that we've been given that way as financial resources, as an act of worship? Well, we're going to camp on that for a little while and ask ourselves, does the Bible actually teach how we can honor and worship God with our resources? Well, yes, it does. And you are in Malachi chapter 3. So I'm going to read that. It'll come up on the screen there as well. Starting in verse 6 of chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Imagine if you were the people beginning to hear those sentences. Oh boy, what's coming next? Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say to me, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the Lord says, in your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with the cursed, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now there's four lessons here in Malachi that he teaches through this prophecy about the nature of the way that we worship God through giving back to him what's already his. And that's through our tithes, which is this portion that we've been given that we give back to the Lord. It's one of the ways we worship the Lord. One of the things that connects with that worship is that Tithing is actually an act of obedience. Obedience is an act of worship. It says, Lord, I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to worship you with my life by being obedient. And in Malachi 3.10 it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Tithe is just an old-fashioned term, an old-fashioned way of saying a tenth or ten percent. Giving a tithe was the practice of the Israelite people. It was a mark of them being the chosen people uh, to dedicate a tenth of anything that they had in their increase to God. So that meant that a tenth of every lamb, a calf, a a tenth of every measure of wheat, a, a bottle of wine, that was all given over to the Lord. And why did they do such a strange thing? Well, because it wasn't theirs to keep. It actually belonged to God. In the book of Leviticus, it's reinforced. When Moses is teaching the people in chapter 27, he says, Thus all the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And that's why the prophet Malachi was rebuking Israel for actually withholding their tithe. In the strongest way when he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. In tithes and offerings, that's how you're robbing me. Israel had actually broken a command and God was actually bringing correction. He was bringing them around through one of his prophets. But do you notice the grammar here? It says in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring. Bring the whole tithe. That verb's imperative. It means... The tithe wasn't just just a suggestion or an option, but it was an instruction. It was an actual command, something to be obeyed. Um, Billy Graham once said, he probably wasn't the first to say it, but he said, when we tithe, we aren't giving at all. We're only giving back to God what already belongs to him. But how did these people actually give it? Well... In the Old Testament, they physically gave it to God's representatives. It was the Levites. They were this whole tribe of people that God and Moses had actually set apart from all the other tribes to minister to God before the people and to the people. Um, The Levites were the people who were at the temple who sang and worshipped around the clock. Uh, They were the ones who were the only ones able to be priests among the people at the temple. They were the ones who offered the sacrifices and did all the work that was there. They were the ones who taught the law, who taught the people what God had said and how they should follow after him. The tithe actually released those Levites to minister to the Lord and to the spiritual needs of the people. Their job wasn't to farm. Their job wasn't to manufacture goods. The tithe was the thing that actually sustained them in their priestly role. And where did the people actually give that tithe? Well, they brought it into the central sanctuary, which after David's time was in Jerusalem. Malachi puts it like this. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. See, The storehouse was the place where they were spiritually fed and cared for. Israel wasn't free to just distribute their tithes as they wished. It was directed to a specific place for a specific purpose. So putting all this together, we might say that the tithe is the first tenth of all that we have. A holy portion that's actually given in worship out of obedience to the Lord. And it's directed towards that local place of worship where we are. For that specific purpose of releasing men and women to serve God and to minister to Him and to people. There's lots of places and fantastic things that we can partner with and give towards in the kingdom of God. Um, In your homes, you are the ones who get to decide before the Lord and choose where your resources are going to go, uh, not me. Uh, However, I want to just distinguish between tithes and offerings. So to function according to its design, a tithe is actually meant to be brought into that storehouse of that local body, that local place where you are fed and ministered to in the body of Christ. It's a principle of scripture. I I want blessing to flow in your life because you're actually being obedient to God's word and the way that he's actually set things up. Because when you give that way, it actually releases a blessing into others' lives and it releases a blessing into your life as well. Don't short-circuit the blessing. I mean, it's not about a budget, but every item, every line item in Gateway's overall budget is an act of faith. We don't know what is going to come in by the end of a year. We, We don't know. In faith, we take a look at the things that we believe God is doing and we go, okay, Lord, In faith, we're going to step out into this year and ask you to meet us. Each item is only possible because the Lord actually continues to work by the Holy Spirit through the generous people of Gateway to bring those financial resources that are needed in to accomplish the vision and mission that He's given to us as a church. I mean, this past year, we saw an amazing provision as the Lord took our simple loaves and fishes And he multiplied it to see that there was enough in his house, that there was food for the people. (laughs) Once you've been obedient with your tithe, well, that's when offerings kick in. An offering is actually what you've decided in your heart to give over and above your tithe to the things that are actually outside your local church. You know, blessing in, in a variety of ways. Bless you for investing in, in various ministries and uh, missions organizations, people, causes, whatever that is that the Lord's put on your heart. Worship God with your offerings when you invest this way. But don't divide and fragment your tithe. Sometimes people say, well, but pastor, well, aren't we, just, aren't we all part of the body of Christ? You know, I get fed in a bunch of places. Isn't it just one big storehouse? Well, in a sense, yeah, I can see that. But the Lord's actually designed things and planned things to work in his kingdom to be accomplished and carried out by the local church, the place where he's planted you. He's placed you there not only for worship and community and relationship, but he's placed you there in order to invest in the local expression of what he's up to in the world around you in that place. Our, our kids here, our youth here, our community, our neighborhood, the newcomers in our EAL classes, they're all blessed as we make that choice to invest in the things that God is doing amongst us and he multiplies it here at South Osborne. In a very practical sense, if everybody divides their tithe to wherever they kind of see fit, well then it actually waters down everything else. And how everything else actually gets accomplished. So, in essence, that tithe is what's the Lord's, invested into your local place, and you give freely with your offerings over and above that tithe to whatever the Lord puts on your heart. So, tithing, worshiping God with our money, you can be obedient with your money in how you walk. Down the street. Maybe the Lord says, Hey, that person right there, I want you to pay for their groceries. Oh, well, but Lord, I only have, yeah, I know. I want you to pay for their groceries. Am I going to be obedient or am I going to open up my wallet? You know, that person, sometimes we look at people that are standing on the corner at the intersection with their signs. Uh, it's very easy to go, wow, they've been standing there for the last four months and their situation hasn't improved any. Um, they they keep coming back to this particular spot. Uh, I wonder if that's working for them right there. And all these different kind of judgments can kind of run through a mind about what's put that person in that place. But what happens if the Lord actually pushes past your particular judgment of that person and says, yeah, but... You know that bottle of water that you have sitting beside you? Why don't you roll down the window and pass it out? Maybe the Lord actually does want you to take that change tray and give it. Whatever it is, are you obedient with the resources that God's given to you? I'm trying to just connect it into tithing because that's one of the most practical ways uh, in the body of Christ to actually keep investing uh, in what and multiplying what God's doing. The second thing that in Malachi that it teaches us is it is actually an act of worship. It says, He will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, so that they may pre- they present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Meaning, how should we worship you? How can we make this right? How can we exalt you? And then it says, well, in tithes and offerings. It's not all about the money, but God was bringing correction to something that they weren't doing. God's challenging them through the prophet Malachi so that they can actually bring this acceptable offering of worship before the Lord to come close to God again. They've been disconnected. Tithing isn't paying our dues. It's not making a charitable donation. It's not even being generous in a sense. It's just giving back to God what's already his, as well as being an act of obedience. It's an act of worship. The clearest mention of this is actually way back in Genesis 14. Abraham, he's just been on this big military campaign, uh, and he's able to rescue his nephew Lot, Uh, away from his captors. The battle's been successful, and Abraham is on his way home with the spoils of all the battle. And as he approaches Jerusalem, there's this strange figure that meets him on this path. It's Melchizedek, the king of Salem, it says. His name actually meant the king of righteousness. His title means the king of peace. Is there anyone in the Bible who you've ever heard those words used about? Jesus, perhaps. Well, as that name suggests, many people look at this passage and see Melchizedek as a, the fancy theological word is, a Christophany, meaning another way of saying an Old Testament appearance of Jesus himself there on the road with Abraham. And watch what happens as Abraham returns from this battle and he encounters this high priest it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was priest of God most high. He blessed Abraham. And he blessed and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says, And then Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had. I want you to just notice the crossover Melchizedek refreshes Abraham with bread and wine, and then he blesses him. And then in return, Abraham gives a tenth of everything that he has. In exchange for spiritual blessing and refreshment, Abraham worships Christ in a sense, worships God by giving a tenth of his possessions. Material gifts in exchange for spiritual blessing. And I don't know if you knew this, but if you look at the timeline, Abraham's encounter actually occurred 600 years before Moses gave instructions to Israel about how to give to the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, the tithe became part and parcel with Israel's worship. Um, not given unwillingly, but with joy, with gladness, with celebration. I love you as a people. You guys, you guys give. You give. You give. There's no doubt about that. So in one sense, I feel this morning in my task, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching a bit to the choir uh, because there is a pattern of generosity and you being obedient to the Lord in your worship in all this. But in the New Testament, Jesus reinforces this way of giving as he actually commends the Pharisees in a way. You see, he commends them for tithing 10%, even off of their spices. Think about that in your own home. You know, all the cumin and paprika and dill and cumin and, and salt and pepper and everything, you get out all your spices and then you measure them all out and then you give it ten. Well, that's how the Pharisee, how seriously the Pharisees took their tithing. <laughs> that's serious. I, I don't know that the Lord would have to work very hard on my heart if that were the requirement. It's, gladly, it's not the requirement. But then, in, in the same breath, he actually rebukes the Pharisees for forgetting weightier matters, like extending justice and mercy and faithfulness to people. He's like, what you're doing is good. He reinforced their giving. But he's saying, but you're forgetting this other stuff, the, more, the even more important stuff. We're also told by the Apostle Paul not to give under compulsion or duty. That's what Norm was talking about this morning, even as we took up our own offering. But give cheerfully based on whatever we decide is an accurate reflection of our heart treasuring Jesus. What is an accurate reflection of your heart treasuring Jesus? I'm not the judge of that. It's between you and the Lord. He wants you to do that cheerfully and joyfully, without reservation. Third, tithing is an act of faith. Stepping out in faith is also an act of worship saying, Lord, I trust you. Here's my life. Here here is what I have. Would you use it? I don't think there's a single person in this room that can afford to part with an equivalent of 10% of their income. Um, Yet I know for many of you it's done as an act of faith in the sure belief that God will take and stretch the 90% of what you have And actually multiply it and stretch it over the 100% of what you thought you had. Time and again, Wilma and I have remarked at how the Lord's provided for us. As we've just stepped out in faith year after year and seen him meet us. I know there's testimonies here of the same thing sitting here in this room. It says, bring the tithe into the storehouse, the whole tithe, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this now says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour it a blessing until it overflows. See, the context of our tithing, it's the only place in Scripture that we are given permission to test God in anything. You want to test God? Well, he's saying, you know what? You're looking at the car, you're wondering if you should buy it, wondering if you should go for it. Come on, kick the tires. Get in there. Test me in this. See if I will not open up blessing over your life as a result of walking in faith in this way before me. God has a track record in this. He's got a way of honoring people for the faith that, of people who actually believe Him and honor Him and take Him at His word and worship Him through their giving. I'll share one of my own testimonies about this a little later on, but I know for a fact there are people here who have amazing testimonies of the way that God has met you as you've done this with Him and done this in integrity before Him. But also in this chapter, we see that tithing is an act of warfare. That's the fourth thing. It says, I will rebuke the devourer from you. It's interesting that the first recorded incident of giving or tithing is in the contract, in contrast of a battle. Abraham, on the road. I don't know. Maybe he still had a bloody cloak on from the battle. The battle still ringing in his ears. This tithing was an act of. Warfare and Malachi says that when we do this, God will actually go to bat on our behalf and He will rebuke the devourer from us. You're under a curse, I will rebuke that curse, I will rebuke the devourer from you. It's one thing, it's one thing to have been made poor or have been made uh, poor by financial choices that we've made that we probably should have been wiser with. Um, Maybe we've dug ourselves into a serious hole with a credit card. You know, that's basically using money that's not yours, as if it was yours, with no way of being able to pay it back if you're not paying it off by the end of a month. That kind of thing is something we actually need to repent of. We actually need to invite the Lord himself right into the middle of that mess to help us reverse things, to change our habits, to change our actions, our behaviors, so we don't kind of keep going around that debt mountain over and over again, repeating that cycle of bondage and debt. If you need to break free from that, I've got faith to pray for you if you need that this morning. But maybe you have met the devourer. The devourer can manifest in, in things like being in constant debt due to circumstances that are outside your control. It's like your car always breaking down frequently, your fridge that stops working at the most inopportune time and you lose all the stuff in your freezer because it, it conks out, or unexpected bills that, that come our way and just gobble up our resources. But did you know that tithing actually introduces God's blessing and his mathematics into our finances? You know what they are, actually. They're not going to come up on the screen, but you think about things in the Bible. Five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 people, 12 baskets left over. How does that math work? Seven loaves, few fish, 4,000 people, 7 baskets left over. A flask of oil that keeps flowing and flowing and flowing to every jar in the household until there's no more jars to fill up. And it actually helps a widow and makes her into a woman of, of wealth and substance who can rise up beyond her circumstance. There's no fish within miles. And Jesus tells these guys to throw, down your, throw out your nets. okay. A hundred and fifty-three big ones come into that catch. How does that math make sense? Over a million people are dying of thirst in the desert with Moses. And even though it was in anger and it cost Moses the promised land, God allowed provision to come by cracking a rock and water gushing out and filling millions of people, including all of their animals and kids amazing even Peter Peter and Jesus no money for the temple tax what does he get them to do go fish catch two fish inside their mouths the exact amount that they needed to cover the temple tax that's the kind of God that we serve test me in this see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and provide and pour out a blessing If you want that sort of blessing and provision to be in your finances, break the curse over your finances and engage the devourer by giving God his portion. It's his. It's his. I don't mean give over and beyond what's actually coming into your household, into your bank account. I don't mean go into debt to tithe. I mean resolve to tithe off of whatever comes into your household and be obedient to give whatever the Lord puts on your heart to give. God will honor that act of worship, that act of faith. You know, and as another way of looking at things, I just want to touch on three common barriers or feelings that we can have when it comes to worshiping God with our wallet. Someone once said, we need two conversions one of our heart and one of our wallet. Um, sometimes the wallet can feel like it's the harder thing to convert. <laughs> I know that was, it was that way in my own life. But three common barriers. The first one is, well, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford it. Well, the reality is, you can't afford not to. If we're serious about wanting to honor God this way, we actually need to work at reordering our finances so that the tithe actually comes off first. That we're not actually giving off the bottom. Right? So that we live and not give off of what's left. That requires a reordering of things. Working on this might actually require a, a, a drastic change or uh, extending some kind of just discipline into your finances. You might even need help with this. Uh, We don't want you to have to do that alone. We've got some tools, resources that can actually help you with that. So there's that one. I can't afford it. Well, the second thing is why I don't want to tithe. That's a lot of money. It's like, okay, well, that's honest. Good. If you're here, And some people are. Let me ask you the question. Are you willing to be willing? If not, well then nobody or anybody else can actually do anything about that. Because that's actually a symptom of a hard heart. A heart that goes, no, in this area, this belongs to me. God, I'm actually not going to worship you with this. But if you are willing, you can pray and say, Lord... You know my heart. I'm unwilling to tithe at this point. Would you, actually, would you forgive me of that? But I want to be willing. Would you help to change my heart? Would you help to make me be willing? And you know what? You'll discover this truth. Philippians 1.6, it says, For it is God who works in you to do his will and to do his good pleasure. God actually works in you by his Holy Spirit to take you from where you are today to where he wants you to be. To actually even change our thinking. And did you know, no one can actually tithe unless God gives us the grace to do it. Otherwise, it's just duty. It's a checkbox. It's something that, oh, the pastor told me I have to do this. All they want is my money, but I guess I have to do this. No, We can only actually do this if God supplies us the grace to be able to do it. So we actually have pleasure and joy in worshiping him and honoring him through this. The third barrier is, I'm afraid to tithe in case maybe I I get into trouble financially. Well, here's my own testimony. It's actually fairly current. To be honest, last year was a particularly difficult year for Wilma and I financially. I don't say that to share this because I'm looking for any particular sympathy. Please, know, We had made some choices in faith to adjust our work and our home life, believing that God had actually asked us to make these adjustments. And right after doing so, within a month, the financial floor and the savings that we had just dropped out from under us through unexpected and unforeseen changes and expenses, things that we could not have foreseen. And the effect was actually so great that there were times that I began to get afraid, actually. I was afraid of what might happen as a result of what was happening to us. But we never stopped tithing. Not because we were so committed to this local church, not because of any particular you know goodness or any particular um, goodness in us, it was no. This is an act of worship. This is something that belongs to God. Whatever's still coming into our house, uh, we want to keep giving that. We, we didn't stop tithing, but we actually did decrease our tithe so that it was actually in step with, with what was coming into our bank account. We kept on tithing because we believed that we should continue to honor the Lord and invite his continued blessing into our life through whatever he was providing for our family and be satisfied with that provision. And I remember a tense moment where I realized that I had actually shifted from faith to fear. And I was trying to solve this problem on my own. And I came to this point where I said, Lord, I I, I needed to repent of my fear. I said, Lord, you are worthy of worship. You've directed our steps. You've brought us to this place and this situation. And we need your help to get out of it. Lord, we will continue to worship you with our lives, with our resources, because you are worthy. Jesus, we need your help. We need your help. We will be obedient to whatever way that you direct us. Lord, over to you. That was my my prayer. And in the next month, I was amazed to watch as a giant log jam that was in front of us got transformed into perfectly fitting puzzle pieces. One day, I felt prompted to make just a single phone call to our financial advisor who had previously told me, yeah, <laughs> you guys are in for a rough ride. If nothing changes, you're in for a rough ride. Great. Thank you for that encouragement. But he gave me, all of a sudden he says, you know, as, I was been, as I'm talking to you, have you considered this? Nope. Well, how about you try that? And within... A week, our entire financial picture had turned around. Every financial appointment that we had with various places, it felt like woman and I were actually being blown along by the wind of the Holy Spirit, like God had already made appointments ahead of us with precision timing. I've only experienced that a few times in my life, where it's like bang, 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 bang. The changes didn't mean that we were now on Easy Street. Didn't mean that all of a sudden everything's full and overflowing. We still needed to make adjustments to how we were living in order to bring stability to our finances. But the Lord answered our prayer as Wilma and I worshipped him. And we're so grateful. (laughs) We're so grateful for the stability and peace that he's helped to bring into our family. To set us up actually for the future. If you're serious about using your resources. Your finances to show just how much you treasure the Lord. Even through your tithing. But fear is holding you back. Well put Malachi 3.10 into practice. It says test me in this. Do at least a three month test. And see if God will not do exactly what he said. To open up. Heaven, and pour out a blessing until it overflows. I want to remind you of a couple of promises that we find in Scripture. Give, and it shall be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. Don't. Don't worry about whatever you are to eat and what you're to wear. I love this. For your Father in heaven knows that you need them. He knows that. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's God speaking to you, speaking to us today about His glory and who He is. To bring this into land, like I said earlier, with money the tricky bit is making sure that the way we use that money shows how we treasure God instead of getting sucked into the trap of treasuring the money. So how are you personally doing at worshiping? How are you personally showing the Lord is your treasure with the finances, with the resources that he's given to you. What does that look like? It's actually beyond tithing. It's beyond those offerings. It's in those ways that that we just are free and say, Lord, this is yours. How do you want me to use it today? Nothing today? Okay, that's fine. I'll put it away. But... It's yours. When you you ask me to use it, I'll use it. I'll worship you. Are you functioning in a spirit of generosity as you give? Or for whatever reason, are you holding back? Can I encourage you as a church? I want to encourage you. I don't want to let you off the hook with giving. (laughs) But I want to encourage you. Every year, our church's books are audited by an accounting firm that's outside the, the church, and they do hundreds of these audits in a year. And I don't know about you, but accountants aren't typically known for their outbursts of emotion. Um, but regularly, the people that come into our office, they look over the books and they remark, and they say, just with slightly raised eyebrows, you know, they kind of go, hmm, and they go, you have a generous group of people here. You know that? And Kevin, our pastor of administration, <laughs> he has the, the pleasure of being able to just nod his head gently so as not to overwhelm them and, and say, yes, yes we do. It's, it's a blessing. It actually opens heaven over what we can do together as we do what the Lord's asking each of us to do to invest in the kingdom of God and it multiplies everything all around us. So I guess at the end of the day, let's keep treasuring Jesus together, not just with our finances, but with everything. Honoring him with all that we are in every aspect of our lives as we worship him together. Amen? Let me pray. Worship team, you can come on forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for the pleasure that we can have in giving back to you, Lord. We're grateful for everything that you've done for us, um, Lord. If all Jesus ever did uh, was to die on a cross on our behalf, making a way for us to be reconnected back to you, to be free from the sin, free, to be free from the curse of sin and death. Lord, that would have been enough. That would have been enough. But you've done so much more for us yet. All the resources of heaven. You've actually seated us in heavenly places in Christ. You've actually extended authority to us. You've given us the capacity to actually hear your voice. To be able to respond and to partner with you. To be able to have the joy of worshiping and extolling and praising your name. Lord, you bringing resources left, right, and center, you owning the cattle on a thousand hills, owning everything, it's all yours. We get to be the stewards of what you've given to us. Lord, would you help us, would you help each one of us today to continue doing what's right before you? Lord, whatever that is, if there's anything that needs to shift in us in our own hearts, Lord, would you help us with that today? Lord, would you take us from where we are To where you want us to be. Would you work to transform us in the ways that we worship you? Lord, I've had the privilege of talking about just one of these areas. But Lord, we want you in every one of those areas so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth with freedom and joy and with expectation that as we partner with the God of heaven, we will see amazing things happen in front of us. We already have, we already do, and we thank you for the awesome privilege. Of being called your sons and your daughters, being part of your family, being joint heirs with Christ in your kingdom. Lord, one day you will come and gloriously redeem your bride. You will bring us home. And Lord, in the here and the now, would you help us to do whatever, whenever, and wherever, whatever it is that you ask of us, so that we would be a people who are known for our worship are known for our faith, for our obedience, and for our ultimately our love for you because you first loved us. We bless you, Jesus. Amen.